I have found that one of the challenges of being a parent is helping your kids see that one of the ways you're seeking to love them is by teaching them to obey you. And often this means correcting them when they disobey you or helping them see moments when they are being self-centered and unloving. And in those moments, it can be hard for them to see your correction as an expression of love. But it is. I want my kids to grow into people who look beyond themselves, to love others, and to obey God's commands. And I want that for them because I love them. I have to admit that I don't always communicate that perfectly to my kids. There are times when I get frustrated with them for doing the same thing we talked about earlier that week or earlier that day, and that frustration doesn't usually communicate love. But there are other times when somehow God gives me the grace to sit down with one of them and calmly talk about what they did, why it was wrong, and to help them acknowledge that, and then to forgive them and reassure them that I love them and I'm doing this with them because I love them. And a constant prayer of mine is that somehow as Rochelle and I keep doing that with our kids and as we keep telling them and showing them how much we love them, they will grow to want to obey us, to love each other and to live their lives for Jesus. And it's so encouraging when I see signs of that happening in them. When I see that as imperfect as my love is, it is drawing them into living lives that reflect what we've been teaching them. In our text today, we're going to be exploring a similar dynamic between us and God. One of the ways that God loves us is by teaching us to obey him. And the more we understand God's love for us, the more we want to obey him. This fall, I'm preaching through a sermon series called First John, A Letter of Love. We're looking at this letter that the Apostle John wrote. And as we'll see in today's text, John talks a lot about love. God's love for us our love for God and for each other. So my sermon title this morning is What God's Love Produces. We're going to look at what John says about what God's love for us produces in our lives. Our text today is 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 17. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. 
I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This morning, I want to look at three things that this text tells us about what God's love for us produces in our lives. When we receive God's love and are united with him, what kind of difference does that make in how we live our lives? Well, the first thing God's love produces in us is that we obey God's commands and love one another. We obey God's commands and love one another. When we receive God's love for us in Jesus Christ, that love produces obedience of God's commands. We want to obey him and we do obey him. And one of God's commands is that we love one another. So this love for one another is also produced in us from God's love. We see this dynamic expressed in several places in today's text. Verse three says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. John is saying that obeying God's commands is a sign that we have come to know God. When we know God and his love for us, it will lead us to obey his commands. In verse four, John says the same thing in another way. It says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. The person who doesn't do what God commands, but who says, I know God, can't be telling the truth. Because if you truly know God and have received his love for you, then you will Obey his commands. The end of verse 5 into verse 6 says, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How do you know that you are in him, in Christ? John says you must walk as Jesus did. You must live a life of obedience to the Father, just like Jesus did. Now, it's important to clarify that John isn't saying that we have to obey God's commands perfectly in order to authentically say that we know God. Because if that was the case, then none of us would be able to say that we know God because none of us obeys God's commands perfectly. In fact, back in chapter one, verse eight, John even says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John isn't talking about being perfect here. Only Jesus has obeyed God's commands perfectly. But John is saying that When we come to know God and his love for us in Jesus, it will produce obedience in us. It will lead us to obey God's commands more and more. Now, why is that? Well, I want want you to imagine two different kinds of boss-employee relationships. In relationship one, the employee doesn't really know the boss, and the boss is very distant The boss gives instructions to the employee, but never checks in to see how they're doing, never gives encouragement or affirmation. The employee feels alone and unsupported. Do you think that employee is likely to do everything the boss tells them to do? Probably not. 
they might do enough so they don't get fired, but they're probably going to cut corners, slack off, and might even ignore some of the instructions. And they're certainly not going to want to do what their boss tells them to do. Now, in relationship number two, the boss spends regular time with the employee. He's interested in the employee's life. He checks in on things he's assigned to provide accountability, but is also willing to help and regularly expresses appreciation and encouragement to the employee. Now, do you think that employee is likely to do everything the boss tells them to do? Absolutely. This employee wants to work hard and will probably go above and beyond because they feel loved and supported by their boss. Part of what John is saying here is that if you have no desire to keep God's commands, if you really don't care whether you obey him or not, then your relationship with him probably feels more like relationship number one. In other words, you probably don't really know him. Because if you really knew him, you would be experiencing something more like relationship number two. But even better than that, because you're not God's employee, you're his son or daughter. And if you have that kind of relationship with him, where you're experiencing his love for you, then guess what? You're going to obey him. You will want to obey God's commands because you know he wants what's best for you. He loves you. So God's love for us leads us to obey his commands. And one of those commands is to love one another. In fact, in John's gospel, he records Jesus giving this command to his disciples on the night before his death. In John 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's very likely that John had this particular command in mind when he wrote verses 7 through 11 in our text, because he, he talks about not writing a new command, but an old command, which his readers have had since they first came to faith. And yet, John also says that it is a new command in the sense of being true of the new covenant that Jesus established. And then he goes on specifically to talk about loving your brother or sister, as a sign of living in the light. In verses 9 to 10, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. So another sign that we have received God's love is that we love one another. God's love for us produces our love for one another. And if we have hatred in our hearts toward a brother or sister, that means that we're not living in the light. And it actually raises the question, do we truly know God and his love for us? Because if we do, then we will not hate our brother or sister, but we will love them. And John is going to expand on this later in the letter. So we'll wait until then to really dig into this. But like I've said the past two weeks, John is very clear that our relationship to one another are very tied to our relationship with God. We can't say that we love God, but don't love our neighbor. In our scripture reading from earlier in the service, when Jesus is asked what the most important commandment is, he responds by giving two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. You can't separate those commandments from each other. Now, the second thing, 
that God's love produces, which we see in this text, is that we do not love the things of this world. That when God's love works in our hearts, then we no longer love the things of this world. We see this near the end of our text in verses 15 to 17. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, it's important to clarify that when John uses the term the world in this context, he's using it in a very specific way. He's not saying that we shouldn't love people in the world or that we shouldn't love God's creation, animals, plants, and the earth. John is using the term the world and things of this world to refer to the sinful, broken parts of this world. Humanity in rebellion against God. And this becomes clear in verse 16, where he says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So John's list here highlights that what he means when he talks about loving the things of this world Anything in this world can be loved and appreciated in a healthy, godly way, but anything in this world can also be loved and viewed in an unhealthy, sinful way. And so when we view something in this world through the lens of the cravings of sinful man, or the lust of his eyes, or the boasting of what he has and does, then this kind of love for the things of this world is incompatible with God's love. John says that when this happens, the love of the Father is not in him. I was listening to a podcast episode this week that gave a picture of what this might look like. A guy was sharing about how he grew up going to church. In fact, his dad was a pastor. But as he grew older, he stopped attending as much and didn't really have much of a relationship with God in his life. He started an online business where he was selling merchandise that he had designed. And he began to spend hours and hours each day on social media, promoting his business and trying to grow it. But in the midst of that, he was neglecting his family, both his wife and his kids. And in the interview, he acknowledged that that during this period of time in his life, he was loving the things of this world, success and money from his business, more than his family and more than God. And he justified it to himself by saying that he was providing for his family, but looking back, he realizes that he was actually using that as an excuse to run away from God's calling to love and lead his family well. Over time, he began to take Fridays off from his business, but instead of spending time with his family, he went golfing with some buddies and they would drink alcohol throughout their round of golf. So by the time he came home in the afternoon, he would fall asleep on the couch completely checked out. Again, he was loving the things of this world in an unhealthy way. Golf isn't a bad thing. Alcohol consumed in moderation can be fine for some people, but he was overindulging and using these things as an escape. Well, finally, one Friday, the same thing happened But while he was asleep on the couch, his wife took their kids and went away for the weekend with her parents. Now, the plan had been for all of them to go together, but he had spent the day golfing and drinking again, so she left him on the couch and went on her own. He woke up a couple hours later to a dark house and realized 
what had happened. He went up to their bedroom and began to pour out his heart to God, confessing his sin, grieving over the way that he had been living and asking God to change him. That weekend was a turning point for him, for his marriage and for his family because God's love and forgiveness poured into his heart and it changed him. He stopped loving the things of this world in the way he had been. He stopped golfing and drinking with those buddies and instead he volunteered to lead a golfer's small group at his church where they go golfing together and then have a discussion on a book they're reading. He stopped drinking to escape his problems, but will have a glass of wine with his wife every now and then. He cut back on spending so much time on social media, promoting his business, and is prioritizing time with his kids now. God's love produced all of that. It led him to begin obeying God's commands, to begin loving his wife and kids in a new way, and to stop loving the things of this world as he had been. That is what God's love can produce in a person's life. Now, the third and final thing that God's love can produce is that we are assured that God's love for us is unconditional. When we receive God's love, it it creates and produces this assurance that God's love is unconditional. You know, maybe as I was sharing the story of that man, God was convicting some of you of ways that you have been loving the things of this world in an unhealthy way. Maybe when I was talking about obeying God's commands and loving one another, you recognize that you've been running away from some of God's commands or that you're struggling to love someone in your life. And the lie that Satan wants you to believe is that because you're struggling with those things, God doesn't love you anymore. That is a lie from Satan. Satan wants you to feel guilt and shame and to run away from God instead of running to him. But as we talked about last week, when we recognize our sin, we are invited to bring that into the light so we can receive forgiveness. Our sin cannot stop God from loving us. In fact, his love for us is unconditional. He loves us even while we are still sinners. And so right in the middle of this text, between John talking about obeying God's commands and loving your brother at the beginning of it, and not loving the things of this world at the end of it, right in the middle, John makes these statements in verses 12 to 14, where he reminds his readers who they are because of Jesus. I want you to listen to those verses again, starting with verse 12. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, talking about those who are more mature in the faith, fathers and mothers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men and young women, because you have overcome the evil one. John reminds them of who they are 
and what Jesus has done for them. And then just to make sure that they got it, he basically repeats the same things again. Starting at the end of verse 13, he writes, I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers and mothers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men and women, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. God's love for us is unconditional. He doesn't love us only when we obey his commands or when we love one another or when we turn away from loving the things of this world. No, he loves us unconditionally. He has forgiven our sins. He has opened the door so we can know the Father, so we can know him who is from the beginning. He has given us victory over the evil one through Jesus Christ who won that victory on the cross. And so God's love also produces an assurance that his love is unconditional. And guess what that unconditional love produces? Obedience for God's commands, loving one another, and not loving the things of this world. These things flow out of God's unconditional love for us. The other night, I talked to my two older kids about how I wanted them to be looking for opportunities to let each other go first in different situations. I told them that I had noticed them both fighting to be first a lot recently. And so we talked about that and how Jesus wants us to put other people first. And I also reminded them that I love them and that God loves them even when they try to go first, that he forgives them and I forgive them. A couple days later, we told them to wash their hands for dinner and guess what happened? I heard one of them say, do you want to go first? And later that evening, they both talked about times that their, their sibling had let them go first. That's what God's love produces. And it brought me such joy to see that in the lives of my kids. Imagine how much joy it brings our Heavenly Father when He sees what His love produces in the lives of His kids in you and me. He loves us. And I can't wait to see what that love is going to produce in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us unconditionally, that you love us even while we are sinners. We pray that 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 love that you have for us, God, would change our hearts, would transform us, would draw us to want to obey you, to see that the things you call us to, the commands that you give us, they are for our good. That that love that you have for us would, would spill out into love for one another. And that, that your love, Lord, would, would show us that the things of this world, they're just worthless in comparison to you and the things of God. And so do that work within us, Lord. Change our hearts through your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.